All right, boys and girls, I do want to let you know we're going to be in here today because moms always like to have kids in here in service. And some people are like, oh, look, I love to have the kids in here. You don't distract me at all. I know it distracts some of you, but it doesn't distract me at all. It just means there's a little life and a little action. Mr. Todd has some specific Mother's Day um, coloring books, some activity books. So if you want to go back and get one of those, somebody can break the ice. Go back there, Josh, help get a few of them for them. Nobody wants to get up. But as he's getting that, we're talking or continuing our series on the fathers of the faith. And so you may say, oh, wait a minute, what about the mothers? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. This series is about some of the key father figures that we find in the Old Testament. We looked first at Noah. We looked at Abraham last week. And this week, we're going to be talking about Jacob. And as I have done throughout this series, I want to reiterate how important it is that when we look at historical figures from the Bible, all right, we want to ask ourselves a few questions that will help us gain something from our experience here together. The first one is, hey, where do I see myself in this story? And I would ask you, as we talk about the story of this person's life recorded hundreds and hundreds of years ago, where do I see myself? How can I relate to what they were going through? What could I learn from the record of their experience? I mean, there are thousands upon thousands and thousands of people that lived the life for God and through God, and, and the Bible records a few of those. Very significant people. Why, why were they recorded? And what could I learn from that? And then ultimately leading up to that last question is, what is God trying to show me through his word? See, that's why we preach. That's why we come to church is we want God the God of the universe, to speak to us. Now, that's very seldom, never in my own experience has it been audible. I'm not denying that that can happen. It just hadn't happened to me. I normally hear from God through the scriptures, through other people who give me encouragement, through things that I hear, reflection, prayer. And so I invite you to ask God, ask to show you what it is he wants you to know. Now, when we think about Jacob, this particular character, I want to give you some just biographical information. First off, the entire record of his life is given to us in Genesis chapter 25 through verse four, through chapter 49. All right, a lot of information about his life. There's actually quite a bit of Jewish other biblical literature about his life that you can read about. He was the second twin son born to Isaac and Rebekah, the grandson of Abraham that we talked about last week. All right, he is actually the namesake. Israel. So the whole nation of Israel was named after Jacob and his renaming. All right. He, his 12 sons, Jacob had 12 sons and one daughter. And the 12 sons were really the basis for formulating the 12 tribes of Israel. So you hear that language. All right. So he's a very significant character in the story of God's working from antiquity up until now. All right, so a very, very significant figure. And so we're going to take just a moment, and I'm going to give you a brief summary of Jacob's life. Now, this has caused me quite a challenge because there's a lot of information about his life. You literally could preach hundreds and hundreds of sermons on his life. And so any of you ever remember the old Cliff's Notes, those of you didn't want to read when you were in school, and you got the Cliff's Notes? I didn't, of course, ever do that. But, um, you know... I did do that. So the Cliff's Notes were like just a quick abbreviated summary that would kind of help you get ready. Of course, you still did the reading and you studied. Those were just an assist, right? So I'm going to give you the Cliff's Notes quick version of Jacob's life. All right, the first thing is he was chosen before his birth to actually be the family patriarch, okay? There's a record of that, and his mother, Rachel, is prophesied that he's going to be actually the patriarch, which is unusual because he was the second son. He was a twin son, 
but he was the second one born. Now the context of this, and before I get into all the rest of this, when we read the Old Testament, we have to remember it's a different world. It's a different time. Now, when we're little, we're, we're taught in vacation Bible school and Sunday school, and we, we just teach little lessons, and these are all very important because we're gaining knowledge. But oftentimes, as we get older and get more mature, when we have to read the Bible, we realize that this is a different kind of world, okay? A world that has a different set of systems. The economic systems are different. The, the, the financial systems are different. That's why you had slavery and you had multiple wives. It was somewhat of a barbaric world, and this is the context in which these patriarchs and fathers of the faith have to live out their life, okay? And so we got to be careful that we don't always, you know, try to make everything equal. we got to figure all those things out and rightly divide the word of truth to understand. And so in that world, the way it worked was the firstborn male son, they were the ones that received an extra portion of blessing, and they were really the ones who got control of the estate so that it could continue on, all right? That was the way it worked. It was a little bit of a harsh world. It wasn't in the same sense of fairness and inequality like maybe what we would think of today. But as a result, his life starts out. He was chosen outside of the norm to be the patriarch of the family in chapter 25, verse 23. This, of course, created a lot of conflict, right? Can you imagine with his brothers and all of the people in the life? And now remember, Abraham, I mean, Jacob's father had multiple, uh, <clears throat> you know, they all had multiple wives. They had concubines. So this is, again, complications in people's lives. But there's conflict that arises because of this challenge for the birthright with his twin brother Esau. There's a story in chapter 27 that many of you may have heard where Jacob, with the help of his mother, uses some deception and trickery and they influence the father so that Jacob can get not only the birthright, but the blessing. See, in our ancient culture, the birthright was that double portion of the inheritance that was given to the eldest son. But then there was a blessing, and that blessing was really more of like the ability to lead and take over the family and control everything, okay? Control their estate. Remember, a whole different system of economy and government. It wasn't like what we live in. And so they usurped that. Of course, the interesting thing is Esau had sold his and was very short-sighted, but this is all a part of Jacob's experience. As a result of tricking his brother and his father and all of that, it does what? It creates quite a bit of conflict. That's universal. You know, use deception and trickery and steal something from somebody in your family, and I promise you, you will get conflict. And as a result of that, Jacob has to flee the country to escape from Esau's wrath in chapter 28. Well, as he's leaving, a very interesting happens, all right? He's clearly an imperfect person who's not done everything exactly as he should, but that doesn't change the fact that God wants to use him, and so God confirms the fact that he wants to bless him through a, through his, through a dream. And at that dream, Jacob recognizes God's work in his life, and so he builds an altar at a place called Bethel. And this is something that people have done really throughout time is they, they build an altar to help them remember, to signify things, and this, so Jacob does this. He goes on and he ends up at his uncle's house, Laban. His uncle lives quite a ways away and we see about all the time he spends there in chapters 29. Now, just like in life, you often reap what you sow. Things have a way of boomeranging back to you. When he gets to Laban's house, he is very attracted and falls deeply in love with one of Laban's daughters. Her name is Rachel. All right? He falls in love with Rachel, 
But what happens is his own uncle tricks him and he has to work for seven years, if you read the story, as part of his dowry or whatever to get Rachel. But unfortunately, as part, and he gets tricked. And so Laban, his own uncle, doesn't let him marry Rachel. He makes, tricks him and he ends up marrying Leah. And so then he has to work another seven years as a dowry for the, the daughter that he really loves, which is Rachel. Of course, all of this makes life really cool at home, right? No. These are all real big problems, okay? And there's lots of conflict. If you read the text there, in chapter 29, you find that this trickery, this deception, all of this creates lots of tension in the family. And that has been and always will be the reality. Unfortunately, this causes lots of problems. It's now we got Rachel, we got Leah, and of course in their culture, each of the daughters came with a concubine. And so now he has four women that he has to take care of. And so he ends up with 12 sons. And these 12, he has 12 son, or 11 sons and one daughter while he's there. And you can find out all about them in chapter 30. Now, again, a whole chapter that gives some very interesting information about how he ends up leaving the country with Laban. And he ends up kind of going out on his own and being prosperous and all this kind of stuff. That's in chapters 31 through 33. Then there's a, a little place in 32 that many of you will remember the story of where he wrestles with God. You remember how he wrestles with God's messenger? And there's this, this kind of literal physical wrestling match that happens in a dream. And he actually is wounded. And we find there that this shows how significant the blessing is to Jacob that he's unwilling to relent. He he's wants to receive that blessing. Of course, when he leaves there, he moves on to Shechem. There's some problems in 34. I'll let you read about that. Continued family drama. Because of the problems that happened there, <clears throat> he leaves and he goes back. And he ends up back, interestingly enough, in where? Bethel. So he ends up right back where he started. Very interesting thing to happen there. So when he gets there, there's this very significant experience that he has in life, and his name is changed by God from Jacob to Israel, and we see that he's back here. Many, many decades later, I think that's interesting, isn't it, is there's a lot of things that happen in his life, some good, many bad. He's just progressing along, going through pain, heartache, suffering, good times, bad times, but he ends up making a full circle right back where God started with him, and then God says, we're going we're gonna to go from here. I think there's something we could think about there. While there, Benjamin, his youngest son, is born. And any, are any of you the baby in the family? All right. Were any of you born like really late in life? Okay. So you know that the baby always, the baby anyway gets the best treatment. Mom and dad are too tired. They don't, you know, they don't want to fuss and fight no more. So they let the little baby get away with everything. That, at least that's what my experience with my brother. John. No, I'm just kidding. My, my baby brother is here. So, but, um, that seems to be the case. You know, we find we're more lenient. Well, if you've ever met someone who was born way late in life and their parents really are almost like a grandparent type age, oftentimes they have a real special place and they get away with a whole lot. And look, because not just they get away with a whole lot, all of us, as we get older, hopefully we get a little wiser. We gain a little more sense, a little better perspective. And we've hopefully learned about life. And so we are at a place where when we, when we have a, someone, a young child, and we're older, we, we understand them better. We care for them maybe in some different sort of ways. And Benjamin is born to Jacob in his old age, and he becomes the 12th brother. Now, then there's a passage there that's very significant. We don't have time to get into it. But Joseph, 
who was the first child born to Rachel, the woman that he really loved, was the one, you remember the coat of many colors, and you have that whole story that happens there in chapter 37 where the older brothers are upset with him. They can't stand him because he thinks he's better than they are and all this. And so they, they sell him off to slavery until daddy's dead, and this destroys Jacob. On to chapter 42 in Genesis, there's a famine in the land, and this famine is used by God to reunite Joseph with his brothers and his father and his family in Egypt. And then in 48 through 49, we get the close of Jacob's life where he actually speaks a blessing to all of his sons, and he ends up dying, and he ends up being gathered unto his people. So this is a summary, I mean a brief summary of a very long, significant life. And I want to encourage you. Go back and read those 25 chapters, and you'll, I promise you, you'll find some things that will make you scratch your head. You'll wonder. Approach it in that way, and there'll be many, many lessons, things that God will want to show you. I want us to look at four of them. Now, these are by no means exhaustive, all right? These are just, just four that stood out to me. You may go find 27 others, or, or these may not be the most four significant, but these are four that I want to share with you, lessons from Jacob's life that I think are appropriate for us to think about today. Number one, we learn from a lesson from Jacob's life, the power of a mother's influence. And I think that that's, I obviously think about this because today is what? It's Mother's Day, and we think about the influence that mothers have on our lives. And in Jacob's life, his mother had profound influence. The Bible tells us that he was kind of the favorite. He was, he was mama's favorite. And, and there's something interesting about that. Mothers love all their children. And as children, we have to recognize that they love different things about different children. It doesn't make us better or worse or less or most. They're just different. But regardless of where we feel that we stand in the hierarchy of how our mother thinks about us, the reality is our mothers have tremendous influence on us for good or for bad. And we see that very clearly. In many ways, she had a tremendous positive influence. She received this, this prophetic vision that he was to be the leader and he was going to be a part of God's plan and he was chosen and he was called. But we also see that she wasn't comfortable completely letting God work out the plan. So what did she do? She took matters into her own hands and really started a series of much pain and heartache be influencing him to possibly go in the wrong direction. Listen, mothers have tremendous influence. Two of my mothers in here, you have more influence than you can possibly imagine. One of the greatest lies of the whole feminist movement and the idea to, to try to downplay motherhood and, and take away the significance of that is that the greatest influence you can have on a person is in those early years where you're formulating their values the things that are important to them, their processes, the way they think about things, their observation skills. And no one has more power over a life than a mother. Oftentimes, I look at my own life and the way I think and the things that I feel, and I, I can look back and I see how I can attribute that to things that my mother taught me. Mothers, you have tremendous influence. Of course, anytime someone has wonderful, powerful influence over us, they can use that influence in the wrong ways. And so we have to, as those who have mothers, realize we can't let anyone influence us, even if they love us, even if they're trying to help us. We don't want them to influence us in the wrong direction. 
because it's very easy to be influenced in the wrong way, especially by those that we love. And it doesn't mean that they're bad people. It doesn't mean that, that they, they can't have an important role in our life. No, it just means that they're humans. And that they're trying to govern their life by how they feel and what they think. And sometimes that's not right. And we have to have the discernment and the ability to realize that, hey, we are not going to be influenced by anyone in the wrong direction. Thankfully, most of us have mothers who have influenced us in the right direction. And we should honor that and embrace it. But mothers have tremendous influence. And that's a lesson reaffirmed from the life of Jacob. The second lesson I want us to look at... It's a little more difficult, and that's this. When I look at his life, I realize that pain is a part of the family dynamic. Look, the sooner you realize that, the more aware you're going to be in life. Look, if you think everything's going to be great in your family forever, you're living in a naive world, okay? The reality is that pain of some sort is a part of every family dynamic because guess what? We're all broken, Human beings are sinful people, and, and you're broken, and so you're going to do things to family members that you shouldn't. They're going to do things that they shouldn't. And guess what? All these emotions and all this geography and all this proximity, all these things that are come together, and they're going to create some pain. The question is, what are we going to do with the pain that is created by the family dynamic that we're in? Are we going to allow this pain to determine the course of our future? Or are we going to stay steadfast in what we're supposed to do? How many people do we know who have totally derailed their life because of the inability to handle or deal with the pain created by their family dynamic? Some of it horrific. I mean, I meet people who were literally abused physically and in so many ways at the hands of people who were supposed to love them. Terrible pain. People who were mistreated. People who were belittled, talked down to, people who were forgotten, you know, people who say things in anger and emotion. Look, all of these things are a part of families, right? And guess what? If we don't learn that this pain is real and it's a part of the family dynamic, we won't be prepared to deal with it when it comes. Now, I'm not saying embrace it. No, I think we try to make better decisions. We try to make wise choices. We try to do the right things. We don't let people influence us. Whenever we're, people say things to us, then we don't respond in anger. You know, all these things, we can minimize that pain, but recognize sometimes there's going to be pain, and you're not going to be able to stop it. You just have to push through it, and you've got to figure out how to manage it and how to use it for your ultimate good. Look, when I read the story of his life, it's apparent that pain is a part of even a very significant religious spiritual man's family dynamic and so we have to concede that if all of these great people of faith experience pain it's, it's not wise to think you're not going to you just got to figure it out be prepared for it and learn how to deal with it now, the third lesson that I want us to look at is also one that's challenging, but it's something that we need to really take seriously is that in the life of jo Jacob, we see that be patient. Significant things take time to develop. Look, when you look at his life, when I'm reading that, I'm like, man, seven years to wait for this woman, seven more years, 15 years here, 20 years there. I mean, he, didn't, he reunites with his brother Esau after a few decades, and so what happens is you realize 
we want to live in a world where everything is instant, where everything should be fixed right away. But things of significance often take quite great deal of time, okay? And what happens is when you rush things, you really don't help. You mess it up. That's in every part of life. You have to, to be patient enough to let God work through time. How many of us give up just like that on a relationship, on a career, on a friendship, on a dream, on a hope? Because what? It's not happening as quickly as we would have liked. Guess what? Go study the people who had very significant, meaningful, impactful lives in the Bible. And it took quite a bit of time, years, decades for the circumstances and the, the, the growth needed within them and the people around to develop. I mean, I often think about Jesus' life. Have you ever thought about what did Jesus do from the time he was 12 where he was already well-versed in the scriptures all the way until he's 30 when he starts his ministry? I mean, you got basically 18 years that you don't even know about. There's not even a single record of him. What is he doing? He's living. He's developing. The only snapshot you get from the New Testament is he continues to grow in wisdom and stature and strength and in admonition with the Lord. Man, if Jesus, who, who is the most important individual who have ever walked the face of the earth, God, man, I mean, if he disappears for 18 years living his life, doing his thing, working hard, plugging away, being a carpenter, man, it kind of puts you and I in perspective. I'm thinking sometimes if something doesn't happen in three months or six months or one year, then I get impatient. Now, when you look at Jacob's life and you look at every significant person, patience is going to be one of the keys to help God work out his plan. And so patience is something that we have to strive for. And that leads us to lesson number four, is that the plan of God always prevails in the end. So there's one thing that's very interesting that you look at when you read the entire story of Jacob. I mean... It, Look, when I'm telling you, since all the kids in here, I don't want to go into all the details. I left some of those out. I mean, there's some ugly, sordid things that are happening in this guy's life, all right? I mean, you're talking about family drama, crazy Jerry Springer nonsense, okay, happening in his life, okay? All right? Some things he's doing for good, some things he's not. All these players and characters in the game are creating havoc or whatever, but you know what? In the end, God's plan prevails, and I can tell you, the story of the Bible is that God's plan is going to prevail. Now, the beautiful majesty of his sovereignty, and that's the word that means God's in control. See, some people think of God being in control, and they think of it like the puppet master on a string. I don't believe that. I think that's a lesser view of God's sovereignty, all right? No, the control God has is that in the middle of a billion choices... Good, bad, indifferent, selfish, non-selfish, emotional, passionate, whatever. In all these billions of choices people are making, okay? Somehow or another, even though every one of them have free will, and this one's free will changes that one's choice, and their choice changes that one's choice. Man, look, this is a chaotic, mind-boggling thing that the world can go in a billion to the so many power directions. And somehow... God's plan always prevails in the end. It's unbelievable. 
It's unbelievable. And his plan is for people to know him, to relate to him, and to live out their purpose according to his will. These are the reasons that God gives us the story of other people's life. As we look at their life, we see how, how, how can I learn from their experiences? How could I show other people, maybe from these experiences? All of these are questions. See, one of the saddest things to me that could happen would be that an individual could know about God, hear about God, have some recognition that God wants to be a part of their life, but not submit to God's plan for their life. Because, see, ultimately you get that choice. No matter who you are, where you're watching, what country you live in, or how old you are, you get to choose if you will embrace God's plan for your life. And you absolutely have the ability to snub him and go your own way. Power, free will. But even in that, his plan still prevails in the end. Because if you live your entire life here and you turn your nose at God and you say, I'm doing it my own way and I'm not giving God anything and I'm doing it all for me, my way, my time, the Bible says that in the end, even that person will bow a knee and will confess when all is made clear. And so I hope that you and I would think very seriously about submitting our will to his will before we have to go through all these consequences that bring about tremendous pain, not only for ourselves, but for others. You see, when we think about how all of our lives connected, we see a baby being dedicated, and there's so much promise, so much future, so much unknown, so much influence by parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, others, so many options, so many directions that this life could go. Hopefully, we're engaging in things, aligning our schedules, our finances, our values, our passions in such a way that we're helping little children like Kinsley and those like her in our life to move in a direction where they are connected to God. This past week on Facebook, I saw where Amelia had made a profession of her faith in Christ at a church up there where Oliver and Laura are now attending. And so, see, this is a natural progression, right? We start by making a dedication of them to God. Then we live a life of true faith before them. And then guess what happens? It becomes a natural thing that they do what? That they want to see how do I participate in this faith and give my life to Christ. Next week, we're going to have some folks that are getting baptized that, that have followed that very same track, dedicated right here. And they're going to be baptized. You see the progression 
God's weaving his hand through our lives as we connect with him. I hope that as we think about these lessons from the life of Jacob, we'll process them in a way that allows God to show us, hey, how could I take this and use this more effectively to serve him? Maybe you're not doing as well as you'd like. Here's the good news. None of us do. You can pray to God today. You realize no matter how many times you've dropped the ball, it doesn't matter if the last time you stepped foot in a church or watched a service was the day you were dedicated as a child and you're 80 years old. You know what you can do? You can stop right now. You can pray to God and you can say, God, I'm really sorry for all the time I've wasted, the bad decisions I've made, and I want to try to make these right as best I can. You got that option. I have that option. And so I want to encourage you on a day like Mother's Day today. Think about the way that your mother always forgave you, that she helped you, that she cared for you. That's just a reflection, a dim reflection of the care and nurturing spirit that God has for you and I. And it doesn't matter what we do. Most of our mothers will do what? They'll welcome us right back. Don't matter how bad a choice we made, they may fuss us, they may whip us, they may give us an earful, but you know what? You can still come back home. And you still are a son, and you still have love, and you still have meaning to her. Guess what? God is saying the same thing to every one of us. It doesn't matter what you've done. You suffered a little bit, which is the way he fussed at you whenever you made those bad choices and you got a little heartache and you got a little pain because that's the way life works. But guess what? He doesn't want you to stay out there. He wants you to come on back and get connected with what he's doing. And I hope that you and I will do that through his son Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for all that you do for us. I pray, God, that you would help us learn from the life of Jacob that you would speak to us through your scriptures, and that each of us would take very seriously your love for us. I pray you would help us to let go of the things that hinder us from being who you want us to be. We pray, God, for each person who's here. May their relationship to your son Jesus be strengthened. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.